let's open our Bibles to Zechariah. We're going to start in Zechariah. I want you to turn there, if you will. Can we turn this down? It's booming just a little bit, just a hair down. Uh, Zechariah, but before we get there, and can you get onto that screen for me, please? There we go. Let's say these numbers together, 512, 5512. And again, repetition is the way we learn, right? And so this is why I keep doing this stuff. And they say, well, I know all that stuff already. Okay, good. Why don't you teach someone else? 512, 5512, the five different major sections of the New Testament as we have it. Now, the Jews, the Jewish Bible sets it up a little bit differently, but we're not going to go into that today. So we have the law, we have history, poetry, major prophets, and minor prophets. And we've looked at the other sections, but today we want to look at the minor prophets. And the way I memorized these was doing it in threes. Because it's, you know, to, to memorize 12 in a row, it's kind of hard. But to memorize them, them three in a row, it, it was much easier for me. So, so let's just say these together, because some of you have memorized these and some of you haven't. But let's just say them together. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now, some of those are hard to pronounce, but... You know, once you've said them a few times uh, and, and made them, you know, pronounced them wrong a few times, uh, we will correct you. So, Micah, we've been studying the book of Micah, and I've just, I've really been enjoying it. I hope, I hope it's been a, a good experience for you. We've been looking at this, one of the minor prophets, Micah, and, and uh, we, we see today, actually last week we looked at this scripture, Micah 5.2, and you can read it on the screen there. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So this is a messianic prophecy and written some 700 years, 700 years before Christ came to the town of Bethlehem. So it was specifically spelled out that in Bethlehem, this ruler, this leader would come. Prophecy was fulfilled. Now, Don Stewart, who is a, somewhat of an apologist, uh, he, he wrote uh, this statement here that I am a little behind myself here. That Bible prophecy is unique, he says, we find nothing like it in other religions. Indeed, it sets the Christian faith apart from all other religious systems. Well, why is that? Why is that? It's because, because God knows the beginning from the end. Because God is all-knowing. He knows, and so when He gives us His Word, He can, he can tell us what's going to happen in the future. All these other religions, they're, well, they're false, first of all. But they, they have no way of knowing some of these uh, religions based on a human being. They have no way of knowing what the future is going to hold, you see. But God, who has given us His Word, can tell us what the future holds. So this idea of prophecy being fulfilled in, is a very 
exciting study. I'm, I'm actually getting more into it now than I ever actually have been before, looking what God has promised and these prophecies that have been fulfilled. We looked last week, you know, about the odds of just eight. And there's 300, at least 300 major prophecies about the Jesus and the time of Christ, about the odds of just eight of them being fulfilled. You remember the illustration of uh, silver dollars two feet deep over the cross, the whole state of Texas, and a blindfolded person. I wonder if it would make a difference if it was a man or a woman. Don't go there. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, this blindfolded person going out into the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars and finding there's one that's marked with an X on it, blindfolded and, and grabbing the the first coin they grab is the, the one with the X marked on it. It's astronomical. It's beyond. It's beyond possibility. But yet Jesus, just eight of the prophecies fulfilled, he fulfilled those incredible odds. And then, you know, when you start adding all the rest of them, it's like it's in, incredible what Jesus came to do. So we see in that, in that prophecy of, of Micah that it talks about a ruler who came. Out of you, out of Bethlehem, that tiny little town of Bethlehem, a ruler would come. And, and uh, again, the, the translation uh, should literally be whose origins are from eternity, from days of eternity, from the vanishing point. So this, this one that we talk about, this one called Jesus, you know, the Bible is clear that he, he didn't just start that day in Bethlehem. He didn't just begin. He was born like you and I. I was born in, anybody know where? 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 San Diego. I was born in San Diego. And uh, I was born in San Diego at a place, a hospital called Mercy Hospital. I never forget that. That's mercy, right? God had mercy, and God still has mercy on me. So, but that's when my beginning was. That's, before that, I wasn't here. But Jesus, you see, very, very different. His, his days were from, his origins were from eternity. He was preexistent, we say, before he ever came. So he came down from heaven to earth and took a body, took the form of a man. He humbled himself. Uh, Philippians tells us, and, and we saw in, in that passage that he also became a shepherd for us, and he also became our peace. He became our peace. So that's 700 years before the time of Christ, before the time he came and was born. 700 years it was prophesied. Now today, anybody know what today is? Palm Sunday, right? And we're, you know, we're, we, we don't religiously follow the religious calendar, but, but some of these things, and it fits, it, it fits in with this, this uh, study of prophecy and, and that Jesus fulfilled prophecy, because Palm Sunday is an incredible thing that's also called the triumphal entry, right? I have that somewhere. It's called the triumphal entry, and, and, but this idea of Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, is, is again a fulfillment a direct fulfillment of prophecy. 
a direct fulfillment. That's why I asked you to turn to Zechariah chapter 9. Why don't we we look there in verses 9 and 10. He says here in Zechariah. Zechariah. I like saying that. Zechariah. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In verse 10, he says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. And he will proclaim peace to the nations, and his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the one who came on Palm Sunday. Now, this prophecy of Zechariah was about 200 years after the prophecy of Micah. Right, Micah 5.2, about 700 B.C., and do uh, you know what B.C. stands for? Before Christ. And, and, but they've kind of changed it now because they didn't want to have that. So now it's B.C.E. And then you know what that stands for? Before the Common Era. So they've kind of taken Christ out of the equation. But we still say B.C. because we believe that Christ changes everything. And that's why he changed the calendar. He changes everything. Anyways, that's another subject. So 700 years, Micah wrote, 700 B.C., and now Zechariah writing later, about 200 years later, around 500, between 520 and 470 B.C., somewhere in there. So about about 500 B.C., he's writing these words, literally fulfilled on Palm Sunday. 500 years. Now, you know, how many of the things that you say are going to happen actually happen? You know, I could tell you that I am going to end early today. I could tell you that uh, you're going to get to the donuts before the kids do. I could tell you a lot of things, and, you know, it's maybe 50-50 chance that they might, it might happen, right? And that's, you know, that's, you know, about, well, I'm going to end about an hour and a half, two hours from now. So that's about two hours I'm trying to speak ahead. Right? You, you people are visiting. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's, it's going to be three hours. I don't want you to get too anxious on me. So, but we're, we're talking here about 500 years before. This is the nature of prophecy. That's why this book is so absolutely incredible. That's why we, we study it. We want to see what what, uh, you know, what God is trying to say, 500 years he wrote that the king would come, righteous and having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey on the colt, the fall, the fall of a donkey. Isn't that what happened? Isn't that what happened? Let's turn ahead now to Matthew chapter 21, shall we? Matthew chapter 21, you can find that because that's, that's easy. First book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 21, 
And let's start in verse 1. It's, again, the triumphal entry, the Palm Sunday when, G- when Jesus came into Jerusalem. Verse 1, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Untie them and bring them to me. So, again, Jesus, he's on the Mount of Olives, and if you can picture the, the, the topography of, of the city of Jerusalem, and, and you have the Mount of Olives, and there's a, a valley in between, and it comes back up to the, uh, the temple area, the temple mount, and, and so Jesus is saying, listen, go to this area, this little town called Bethphage, and there's going to be a, 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 a ride for me. Now, interesting thing, you say, well, why is he riding a donkey, of all things? He could have been riding like a a horse, right? I mean, like a real animal. (laughs) But, you know, we have to kind of understand the the context of what was going on back then. And in actual fact, uh, horses were, were used, but they were used in times of war, right? And donkeys were used more in times of peace, to bring peace. And so Jesus coming into Jerusalem on that day, he he wasn't coming to conquer, but he was coming to bring peace. And that's what we saw prophesied. So he comes in writing, and he he sends them ahead. In verse 3 it says, If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. By the way, this account, there are a number of accounts of different things that happened in the life of Jesus found in all four Gospels. And this one is found in all four Gospels. Not a whole bunch, but a handful found in all four Gospels. And this is found in all four Gospels. But it's interesting when you read, he says, if, if any, anyone says anything, do you just tell them that the Lord needs them? That's all you got to say. I was thinking about this. You know, what if, what if someone's out, you know, like hot wiring your car? And, you know, they, you come out and say, what are you doing with my car? What would you say? And then they say, well, the Lord needs it. Well, what would you say? Yeah, right. I'm calling the police right now, 911. Like you are. But is that what happened? No, you see, when God works things out and, and God knew exactly what was going to happen and Jesus knew what was going to happen. By the way, I believe he, he gave them back at some point. Most likely, right? We don't know that for sure, but, but uh, he just kind of borrowed them. But when God is doing something, God will put the pieces together. God will, will, will make it happen. So often we want to strive, right? We want to make things happen, and, and I do it all the time. But, but you know, when we, we're, we're called to trust him, and if God has a plan, and God is working something in our lives, we need to trust him and, and let him put the pieces together. So that's what happened here. But look in in verses 4 and 5, it says, This took place. Matthew writes, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. He quotes Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. The New Testament writers how often did they look back and quote 
something that was written in the Old Testament. That's why, that's why we, we shouldn't be afraid of the Old Testament. We need to believe and understand and, and to the best of our ability, uh, read the Old Testament because it, they're tied together, you see. The New Testament writers, how often did they look back and say, this is what God told us would happen. That's kind of, the, kind of what Matthew is saying here, this, this Matthew who was a, a tax collector, right? He's saying, wow, God said it was going to happen, and, and look, it happened. This is just what God said. As I said last week, there are many more things that are yet to be fulfilled, and so we can look at those and say, wow, God said that this is going to happen too. Now, I don't know when or how that's going to happen, but it's going to happen. He rides into Jerusalem that day, and it's a literal fulfillment of prophecy. Declaring himself to be the king. Declaring himself to be the king. Right? He was the king then, and he still is the king now. Look in verse 6. He says, The disciples went, and they did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The disciples, they, first of all, we see the disciples, they were obedient. Jesus told them to do something, and what did they do? They went and did it. Uh, you know, I probably would have questioned it. You want me to do, like, go take somebody's donkey? right? But that's what he told them to do, so they were just obedient. And sometimes we don't always understand what God wants us to do, but, but we need to do our best to be obedient, right? Obedient to what Jesus wants. We know, and, and that, that covers, a, I know that covers a broad, broad range from the most general principles that we find in the Word of God of how God wants us to live. We need to be obedient to God's Word, we need to do the right thing. That's what Micah's saying, you know, to, do, to act justly, to do the right thing, and, and to live according to the principles that we find in the Bible, not according to what the world says is okay. We need to, we need to live and be obedient, and that's what, that's what sets us apart, right? To be obedient. So they were obedient, and then, and then specific things where, where God will speak to us, where God will guide us and direct us, and, he, and I believe he does do that. So we pray and we say, well, God, what, you know, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to, to, to deal with this situation or that situation? We pray, we ask him, and he can speak to us by a lot of different ways, through his word, by his spirit, through other believers, through something you might hear on the radio or or some kind of teaching, and he can speak to you and to me. And, and, but, then, but then if he does speak to us, are we going to do what he says? So the, the disciples were obedient, and then, and then he came to Jerusalem, and, and look what was going on there. I mean, it, you know, we, we, we see the, the crowds, they were ecstatic. They were like going insane. In a positive way, right? At this point, keep that in mind. Now, John adds, adds the, that they took palm branches, and that's why we call it Palm Sunday. It says here they cut branches from the trees. He, he adds that they, they, they were using palm branches, right? And, and the palm branch, uh, you know, 
some believe it was a, you know, a symbol of victory, a symbol of, of some kind of, uh, uh, you know, strength. And so, so the crowds, they went out to meet him on this Palm Sunday, on this triumphal entry, and, and it, was, it wasn't some quiet little procession. They were like going, going uh, insane, as I said. But what were they looking for when they saw him coming into town? They were looking for a king, but they were looking for a king to take over, right? They were tired of being dominated by Rome. They were tired of, of telling, you know, having them tell them what they could and could not do. They were waiting for Messiah to come. You see, there are many, many prophecies that Messiah would come. And even in what we read there in, in uh, uh, Zechariah 9.10, where he talks about the ruler taking over and, and ruling from sea to sea, then that is going to be fulfilled. We read about that in Micah, where Jesus would come and set his feet upon the earth and rule and reign for a thousand years, and then, and then the rest of the story beyond that. But they were waiting for that. They're waiting for that. The Jews are still waiting for Messiah to come and set up his kingdom. I spoke to a Jewish man uh, very recently, and I asked him, you know, I said, I said, so what do you believe? You know, we as Christians believe that Jesus was Messiah, that he came. Now, what do you believe? He, he, said, he said, we are still waiting for Messiah to come. We are still waiting for Messiah to come and, and what he will do, what Messiah will do. And he kind of intimated to me, you know, like, we want the same thing. We want Messiah to come and, and to kind of be the ruler, to be the king. Well, yes, I do want that too. But, but, but Messiah came and, and, and he came with a different purpose the first coming, you see. Interesting, there's a prophecy that, uh, that says that one day the Jews will see it. They will see and recognize, and it says in Zechariah, as a matter of fact, it says in Zechariah 12.10, it says, they will look on me the one they have pierced. They will look on me. And so they will recognize that Jesus was Messiah, that he came, that he died for them. So Zechariah, the first thing that Zechariah said was this, that he would have salvation, right? We read that in Zechariah. Having salvation, he'd be righteous, he would be having salvation. So first things first, he came to bring us peace with God. That's the first thing that he came to do. He, bring, he came to bring you. He came to bring me peace with God. But how would, how would he do that? He would do it through the cross, right? This, again, this is the, the entry into Jerusalem as begins this week, right? The week before the cross and the resurrection. This, some people call it the Passion Week. And so he was coming, and, and the first thing that he needed to do was to bring this salvation. Look at verse 9 here, Matthew 21. It says, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, they shouted. 
It's an interesting word, and I, I was looking at this and reading what different people had to say about it. This word, Hosanna, we kind of use it as an exclamation of praise. And it, it is that. It's like, uh, it's like hallelujah, Hosanna. But, it, but the literal meaning of the word is, is actually a plea for salvation. In your margins, many of them it says that it's a Hebrew expression meaning save. Some translations uh, translate it, save now. And that's what the Jews wanted. They, want, they wanted Jesus, the Messiah, to come, the King, and save us right now. Of course, they were looking for something different. But the, the literal meaning of this word, Hosanna, means I beg you to save. I beg you to save. They wanted salvation. They wanted salvation from Rome, but Jesus came first things first to give us salvation from what? From sin. From sin. I found this really awesome quote. I, wanna, I want you to read it with me. And we're not, there we go. It says this, The crowds looked for a Messiah who would rescue them politically and free them nationally, but Jesus had come to save them spiritually. First things first, and mankind's primary need is spiritual, not political, cultural, or national salvation. That is so important. That is so important. Our first need is always spiritual. It hasn't changed from then to today. We think if we throw money at things, if we try to help uh, people in, in certain kinds of social ways or political ways or cultural ways that we're going to solve all the problems of this planet. Our biggest need is spiritual need. It's, our biggest need is to walk humbly with our God, the God who sent His Son to die for us, to pay the price for my sin, for your sin. It, it, it is always the first need. The primary need is a spiritual need. No, it doesn't, doesn't mean that we don't help out in all these other areas. We do. We need to. But, but you can help people all day long, and, and if, you don't, if you don't somehow get to the, the spiritual need, what good is it going to be? People could be healed physically over and over, but if their hearts aren't healed, what's the, what's the, what do they have to look forward to? Separation from God forever and ever. Hosanna, save now. We beg you to save. Again, the, the, the biggest problem with that is that we do not want to humble ourselves and, and admit that we need saving. That's what's wrong. We're proud. We, the human race, and I speak for the whole human race, pride is the number one sin. Because we're not willing to humble ourselves and say, I need a Savior because I'm messed up. I'm a sinner. We're not willing to say that. We're not willing to admit that, that we don't have it all together. Now, I know that's not true of, of many of you in this room. You're, you've humbled yourself before God and said, you know, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's just the beginning. And God begins to pour out His Spirit and bless and, and lead and help us. But that's the, that's the heart of the problem, isn't it? We beg you to save us. Save us now. 
they said there, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is also a, a fulfillment of another Old Testament scripture in Psalm 118, fulfilling that prophetic scripture. But I think, I think the ironic thing in this, in this passage is that these people were so ecstatic. They were shouting, save us now. But within a week, they would be shouting something very different. Crucify him. Crucify him. One more prophecy that I want to look at, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. So turn back to where, kind of where you were before and back a little bit more. Daniel chapter 9. One more uh, prophecy that was fulfilled here on Palm Sunday, Triumphal Entry Sunday. And Daniel chapter 9, especially these verses here, but many of the other passages there, are, are some of the uh, most incredible prophetic passages about things that would happen in the future. Isn't that right, Jim? Okay, I got one person with me. Uh, this passage, again, Daniel was writing about 530 B.C., so about you know, a little more than 500 years previously. But Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, let's read those verses. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, and that literally means Messiah, the word Messiah means anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. And it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. And the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. And he will confirm a covenant with many. For one seven, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end is decreed, that is decreed, is poured out on him. There's a lot of stuff there. That's a, that's a big period of time. But, but the, the thing is, part of this passage has been fulfilled. Part of it is fulfilled literally by Jesus entering Jerusalem there at Palm Sunday, fulfilling this. Now, again, there's so much there, you know, the last seven, but, but the, the, seven, the 77s, they're, they're, they're weeks of years. And again, you can read more about this. I'm, I'm not going to take a lot of time, but they're weeks of years. So we're talking 490 years in this 77. So 7 times 70 is 490, right? So we're talking 490 years. And then the last 7 years, so we take away, or separate, we take away the, you mathematicians keep up with me, 
We take away the seven years, we have 483 years, right? You with me so far? Well, back then, uh, and, and they would use a calendar that, that had 360 days. And, and again, you can read a lot more about this. Uh, so they came up with a figure of 173,880 days in these 483 years, right? But literally, he says here, verse 25, from the issuing of the decree to restore and build Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be 483 years. It was spelled out specifically, literally. So, according to biblical sources and also secular sources, this decree was given by a king, by a ruler called Artaxerxes, on March 14, 445 B.C., Jesus entered Jerusalem on April 6, 32 A.D., and you put all that together, and it's exactly what he predicted here in Daniel chapter 9. Does that make sense? I know there's a lot of math going on there, but, but literally to the, to the day, Chuck Missler, who... Uh, uh, wrote about this. He says, when we examine the period between those two dates and correct for leap years, we discover that it is 173,880 days exactly to the very day that Jesus entered in Jerusalem. That's a prophecy 530 years earlier, and he fulfills it to the exact day. Now, that's incredible. That's the Savior that we're talking about. Now, I'll just mention here the, the last seven years are the seven years of the tribulation. And in the middle of the tribulation period when there would be this abomination of desolation set up in the temple. But, but notice in this passage, he talks about a few other things too. He says there in verse 26 that the anointed one will be cut off. What's that speaking about? The cross. The cross. He talks here about the, the city and the sanctuary being destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. The temple, the temple was completely demolished in 70 A.D. It hasn't, hasn't been there since 70 A.D. So some of these things, so then we see that the temple needs to be rebuilt before this, the rest of this passage can be fulfilled, right? There, there needs to be a, a temple that's going to be rebuilt. There are people that that's all they think about right now is rebuilding the temple. They are, uh, you know, putting aside different things, utensils and things for the service in the temple. That's all they think about. It's a whole fascinating study, but... Jesus rode into Jerusalem. You see, it wasn't just, oh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a, on, on a donkey and uh, we're going to hand out to you little, um, uh, you know, samples of palm leaves and then we're going to go on about our business. This is big stuff. This is fulfilled prophecy. This is God doing what he said he, he was going to do. But he came with a very big purpose in mind. He came to bring salvation. He, he came bringing salvation. He came to bring peace to you and to me. One final picture I want to leave you with, uh, if you'll turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7 uh, is just, a, there's a picture there that I think is, is pretty awesome. 
when you think about what was happening back in Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 7, this is a picture in heaven now. Verses 9 and 10, he says this. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, and they were holding what? Palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's incredible. What, what did he come to bring? He came bringing salvation. He came and they, they were just as ecstatic then, but they knew what they were ecstatic about, right? They had the palm branches, but it was the victory of the cross, the victory that he, that he came to bring. So all that to say to you and to me is, do you and I have what he came to give? Do you and I have the peace? That Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, you have peace with God. Are you, are you at peace with Him? I was thinking about those little samples of, pine, of palm branches, you know. Where do you get those? Next year, maybe we'll have some. Just a reminder, I think, it's not a bad thing. But do you have that peace with God that, that Jesus came to bring, that King? The King came bringing salvation. And again, on the cross, what did it say? The king said the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews came to give his life for you and for me. He came from heaven. He came, he came from eternity. He came down to earth. He, took, he humbled himself, took the form of a man that he might die for you and for me. It's not just a holiday, is it? It's way more than that. It's big. This is big stuff. So, so Good Friday and then Easter Sunday, we're going we're gonna to continue this idea of prophecy. We're going to look at Psalm 22. We're going to look at Psalm 16, the, the Psalm of the Cross, and some of the other passages that we're looking ahead to the cross. What other passages? Isaiah 53, right? Prophesy of what our Savior would do. Because God is faithful. He keeps His word. He does. Let's pray, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that, that you, uh, man, you have a plan. It's way beyond our understanding, but that you, could, that you could 500, 700 years before, even back to Genesis chapter 3 where you prophesied, where you told us that you would uh, bring an answer to our problem, to the, to the sin that separates us from you because you are a holy God. I pray that each person hearing this message right here and right now, they would look at their own hearts and, and ask, have I, have I got that peace with you? Have I come to the cross and said, Jesus, forgive me? And not let pride keep us from you. Lord, you love us, and there's only one reason that you would do that is because you love us. Father, you loved us enough to send your one and only son to die. And the agony that that was, the separation, the abandonment that he felt there on the cross as he took the price for our sin, paid the price for my sin, for 
all of our sins and any, any who would come and, and ask for that gift, that free gift of eternal life. Forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Lord, meet us here this morning. Meet us here today. We're just sinful human beings, and we really, we really need a lot of help. We need saving, first of all, and then we need healing, and we need restoring, and we need encouragement. We're just needy. We're just plain poor and needy like we see in your word. Poor and needy. But you're a God who loves to meet us where we are. I don't know where you are today, but, but right now in, in these moments, cry out to him. Call, call upon his name. Maybe you need to be saved. You need that salvation. Call upon his name right now. Maybe you're hurting and need help. Call upon him right now. He's here. He, he hears you. And he is the God who created the universe, who had a master plan, who fulfilled it all, and is yet to fulfill the last chapters, he can meet you where you are and do what you need. Let him have your life, your heart. Let him have his way in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?